Well, thank you. And thank you very much for praying for me. I've been praying for you, so that's good. All right. Uh, well, this morning, as uh, Rich said, we're going to continue our series, A Meal with Jesus. This is the third weekend. Uh, we really picked up a book by Tim Chester, and that's the title of the book, A Meal with Jesus. And so we're sort of following the outlines of that, and, and he, takes all of his, um, he takes all of the meals from Luke's gospel. And one writer said about um, uh, Luke's gospel that uh, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. So I think that's a great life. He's either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And in fact, in, uh, in, uh, in Luke's gospel, there's more references to food than in any other gospel. So I think he was a bit of a foodie, you know, as uh, Luke. So this is where we're going. Now, don't forget, we thought we'd take this time during the summer. Please invite somebody around for a meal. That's part of the point of this, that we'd be... Uh, got an opportunity for hospitality with each other. We haven't got small groups going on. And, um, and also, please, don't just invite your friends. All right? So just stretch yourselves a bit. It will be good. Thank you. Well, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. If you haven't got one, fret not. It'll come up on the screen behind So from verse 10, Luke chapter 9. This is very familiar. I realize this. It, no, he doesn't write that. I'm just saying that this is very familiar. So, but stay with it. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. And spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, it's about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so. And everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them And then he gave to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? I'm going to stop at that that point here. I wonder what, I do wonder what your most memorable meal is. I've been asking all around the staff and loads of other places, you know, what's your most memorable meal? 
And, and to be honest, the responses to the question of what, what is your most memorable meal, have, people have talked more about the occasion and the conversation that went on more than the actual food that was on the table. Uh, again, the memories are about who is round the table rather than what is on the table. That seems to come across time and time again. Jen Swallow, who's in the office, um, it wasn't the first meal that she remembered, but she remembered a, a family meal time. And they're sitting in the dining room and they're, they're eating spaghetti. And uh, during the meal, her dad looked at her and said, Jen, don't ever eat spaghetti on a date. Do you know, I think that's good advice. I just think, you know, you just think about it. I think that's really good advice. And then I was just thinking about it. I thought, so how does Jen eat spaghetti? That's an interesting one. Anyone, anyway, um, this meal is, this is one that's in all of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all include this one. They all want you to know they were there. It was one of those I was there moments. You can, you can imagine them saying, you know, it was just a brilliant day. It was just a brilliant day, and I, I wish you could have seen it. And I, I know so many people have told you about this before, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It was amazing, absolutely stunning, unforgettable. I will, I'll never forget it. It's one of those things I will never, ever forget. The, the writers are saying, do you know what? I was there. I was there. I was there. I was there moment. For many of our teenagers who went to New Day the week before last, New Day, by the way, if you didn't know, is a large Christian event that runs for a week and gathers together over 6,000 young people from the age of 11 to 18. Um, and they have a brilliant time. They're from churches that are connected to churches that we're connected to and others. And for many of them, that Thursday evening could have been there. Do you know what? I was there. Because on the Thursday evening, the Spirit of God fell all across that gathering in that marquee, 6,000 young people, and some of them had never seen anything like it. But the power of God broke out and moved amongst our young people. Hundreds responded to the Lord that night. Hundreds, hundreds responded to the Lord that night. It was in years to come, our young people will go, do you know what? I was there. I was there that night. I was there that night. Holy Spirit moved wonderfully and powerfully, encountering all the people. So th this, I guess, is one of those moments, you know, and it's more than a meal. So as I read and I reread this passage, first of all, I, really, I nearly missed the most important ingredient. And, and it was in Tim Chester's book, but I just nearly missed it. I just thought, oh, I, I, moved, I moved over it. I just, just moved on. And um, it's three words. And it's this, verse 11. Have a look at verse 11, you see. He welcomes them. He welcomes them. Now, if you're taking notes, that's the first point. He welcomes them. 
before there's any teaching, before there's any healing, before there's any meal, whatever, he welcomes them. They don't know they're coming for a meal. Nevertheless, he welcomes them. Three simple, important words. To be honest, it's an utterly inconvenient time for Jesus. His cousin John has just been beheaded. Literally, it's just been beheaded. And there's a lot going on in Jesus' life. This, this isn't convenient to have thousands of people coming towards you. This is not a convenient moment. And, and in addition to that, there's things going on in Jesus' head. And you, you, If you follow the, the rest of the passage in uh, Luke chapter 9, he tells them just a little later on, you know, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by all the religious leaders. Be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is not a recent thought that Jesus is having. These are all going on in his head. John's death. His death. On top of all that, the disciples, they've just been on a mission. And they've had a brilliant time. And you read that in the early part. They have had a brilliant time ministering in the surrounding, in the surrounding villages. They, this is inconvenient. They want time with Jesus. They just want rest, restoration, recuperation, retreat, a time to review. They want time with him. But the crowds are oblivious to that. You know, you've had times like that. And things are going on in your house and all the rest of it. And ding, the doorbell goes. The person on the other side doesn't know that you've got one child upstairs vomiting and the other one downstairs with diarrhea and, and the other one's running around the house, no clothes on and absolutely going nuts. The, the person on the other side the door hasn't a clue about all of that. Ding, really inconvenient. I can tell you, it's really inconvenient. And you've got this moment here and he welcomes them. That's what he does. He welcomes them. The first thing he does I want to tell you there's a whole world in that phrase. We'll get to the meal in a moment, but there's a whole world in the phrase, he welcomed them. You know, to be welcomed is to be valued. That's why we have a little moment here, just an opportunity to welcome people. Don't, un- don't, don't miss it. Don't, under- don't miss the importance of that moment. It's to be valued. It's to be wanted. It's to be accepted welcome. Kings, let me just say this. We all play our part in this. Just because we have a team with polo shirts and welcome team emblazoned on the front of them, this is all our task. We are all about this. We welcome people. You want to come on the, uh, if you've been on an exploring membership course, one of the first things people say is warmth, welcome. We we ask them, what what is their, what's their you know, what's their response to the church? How have they found the church? Warmth, welcome. This is all of us. All of us should do this. You don't have to have a polo shirt to do this. Welcome team emblazoned on you. You don't have to have that. It speaks volumes. I remember the story of a biker who walks into a church. I, he looks rough. He looks rough. He's hostile. He walks down the aisle plonks himself in his seat on his knuckles. He's got tattoos. And he's got four letters on this hand. And it starts with F. And then he's got three letters on this hand. And it's got Y-O-U. So I'll leave you to fill in the blanks. All right? 
So he walks and sits down, and this uh, lady, she's an older lady, sits down next to him. She welcomes him to the church and tells him how glad she is to see him. Now at that moment, he crumples, he breaks, and pours out in floods of tears. All she did was welcome him. Just a moment in his life, and she welcomes him. It's the kindness of God through that lady. Don't, don't underestimate the importance of welcome. There's no differentiation. As we welcome, there's no dif- differentiation because Jesus is the one who includes all the excluded, the lepers, the prostitutes, tax collectors. He includes all the excluded. He welcomes people. Why does he do that? He does it because it really matters. People really matter. If you read the letter in Romans, Roman, um, Paul has a long list of people who he wants to send greetings to. It's in chapter 16. It's a name after name after name after name. He knows them all. And half of them are slaves and women who have no, you know, just have no social standing and no respect at that time. And he welcomes them. My friends, you've... you've Welcome speaks volumes. Let's do it really well here. And wherever you are, do it really well. You know, your welcome speaks volumes. I want to tell you, a poor welcome speaks volumes too. Desmond and I, when I was on sabbatical, we went to this church. And, um, and we were there in the morning, and um, it was a good meeting, a really good meeting. But, you know... Well, nobody welcomed us. Don't have a, we didn't have a welcome in sight. And then in the evening, we went to the evening meeting, because everybody goes to the evening meetings. We went to this evening meeting, and we walked into the auditorium, and uh, there was just a couple of people in the auditorium. We got there early, because we knew you had to get there early. We got there early, and um, went to get a seat. Well, row after row after row after row reserved. Somebody's Bible... Somebody's scarf, somebody's this, somebody's that. The only place, and it's empty. It's empty. They'd all stuck a what's it name during the during, from from the morning, and then and you and so we had to sit at the back. We didn't want to sit at the back. We wanted to be where the action was. So did all the other people, mind you. But um, it had a real feeling of, do you know what? You're not part of this. And in spite of that, we had. Let me say this for the church. We had a great time that evening. Absolutely great. But welcome speaks volumes. A good welcome speaks volumes. A poor welcome speaks volumes. And last week when Ron was speaking about Jesus at Simon's house, the first thing he does when uh, Simon says, you know, he sort of confronts Jesus, the first thing Jesus says, he talks about the welcome that he didn't receive. Your welcome is really important. So, let's move on to the meal, shall we? And uh, five loaves, two fish. Five loaves, two fish. I mean, what's all the fuss about? It's not MasterChef, is it? I mean, it's just five loaves, two fish. The five loaves, they'd have been a poor man's loaf. Five loaves, two fish. But it's miraculous. Amen? It's miraculous. I don't know if this has occurred to you. 
But you can't have a miracle unless you have a problem. Let me just say that again. Because we don't like problems. But you can't have a miracle unless you have a problem. And to be fair, the disciples have diagnosed the problem. It's late. It's remote. There's no fast food outlets here. And the people need to eat. I like that about the disciples. They come in for a lot of stick from some commentaries, but I think they diagnose the problem correctly. It's, it's, it's just late. Let them go to the villages. I know it says send them away. Let them go to the villages. Jesus is absolutely outrageous. You give them something to eat. Just imagine yourself there. And you've thought, you've been incredibly thoughtful. So Jesus, there's all these people. They're really, they're really hungry. And this is remote. This is a wilderness area. This is very remote. Let's, let's, let's get them out so they can get some food. You give them something to eat. Wow. You give them something to eat. If you're taking notes, that's the second point. He includes them. He includes them. First he welcomes them, and then he includes them. Can we just say that together? He includes them. Say that again. He includes them. Say that again. He includes them. Now, let's say he includes me. He includes me. Oh, he sure does. Say that again. He includes me. He includes you, my friends. This is what Jesus does. This is God's way. God has a part to play, and you have a part to play. That's how it is. God doesn't do your part. You must get that. You do your part. God doesn't do your part. And find, you find this. Your part comes first. It's often this way. David, there's no story of David and Goliath until he gets a stone and flings it. God doesn't get in the stone. He gets it. There's no parting of the Red Sea until Moses raises his staff. God says, raise your staff. He raises his staff. The Red Sea parts. There's God's part. There's your part. Noah had to build a boat in a desert. I mean, I don't know how. That is something, isn't it? He has to build a boat in a desert. Noah, this is your part. It's going to rain. It doesn't look like it. It's your part. When the priests got to the river Jordan, and they're about to cross into Canaan, um, there is no, nothing happens until they put their foot, their feet in the water. And then the river Jordan piles all the way up. And the rest is gone. And they walk across. You play your part, God plays his part. Five loaves, two fish. You and I have a part to play. I mean, he's teaching his disciples a lesson of faith. Christians, my friends, this is how we come into the kingdom of God. You had to play your part. Do understand that. It's always been this way. You know, when I became a Christian, I was with this guy in the room... And I've been around Christians for quite a while. And 
I knew they had something I didn't have. I just knew it. It was just quite clear. After quite a long time, I, you know, I, I, was, I was not a Christian fan. I was not a church fan. Hated church. I, I hated all of this. And yet I saw these people had something different. And he and I talked quite a long time, and many times. And then we're in his room, and he, he says, he invites me to pray. He invites me to pray. I thought, I don't know how to do this. I mean, I'd seen them pray, but he invites me to pray. I don't know if, you, I don't know if it, that happened for you, but he invited me to pray. And do you know, if you're going to give marks out of 10 for prayer, I don't even know if it's going to get to one. I got this, I, I know, I know he exists. And yet all my questions are not answered. Yeah, I know. I'm convinced, but you know what? I'm not sure. And I've got this moment here where I'm, I'm going to pray. And as I prayed, I just made this, I don't know, half-baked, feeble response of prayer. As I prayed, God began to change something in me and my and I became more certain and more convinced of who he was. And, and my faith increased. I played my part. God played his part. It was, it was as simple as that. And yet, as tense as that, it was God-given. It was just wonderful. You know, it says in Romans 10.10, 10, it says, For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with the mouth you profess and are saved. There's something you have to do, my friends. This walk of faith requires you to do something. You know, we sing these songs and we make these audacious claims about the greatness of God and we know them to be true. And how does that happen? It happens because faith. We have faith. So you want to grow in this faith. You can either grow in it or you can leak it. But let's grow in it. What have you got? What have you got? 5,000 men. You know those women and children besides this. For 5,000, what have you got? I got, uh, I don't know how they did, I don't know how the disciples did this. It's a boy with a lunchbox and a, you know, he got, um, I mean, did, you, did he do it half apologetically when Andrew did this? Did he do it half apologetically? I don't know. Five loaves. Uh, we, got five, we got five loaves to fish. Got five loaves to fish. It's not much, you know, but he'll take it. It's not much, but whatever you've got, he'll take. Every Alpha course, we do a Holy Spirit evening or half day or whatever. And I often do the talk. Can you see over there? This you can. I often do the talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, because Jesus tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says to his disciples, "Wait here for the gift my Father promised you." It's about being filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter one. You follow this all the way through. Acts, being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. So we we talk about being filled with the Spirit, and then. At the end of the talk, I said, 
what we're going to do now is we're going to, we're just going to ask God to meet with us. And I got this sponge. And I do want to say, it's hard, you see. And I say, you know, sometimes our life are like this sponge. Just brick hard, absolutely brick hard. But if, if we will bring our lives to the Lord, do you know what? He'll meet us. And so I dip the sponge in here, and then I take it out again, and it's still hard. It's still hard. And I say, I say to the people, you know, some people have had really hard lives and been really broken and disappointed. And the hardness is still there. But God wants to fill us and drench us and soak us with his spirit. And so I, I put the sponge in again. And, I said, and then I put it in again. And then this sponge begins to soften. As the water reaches in to the sponge, it begins to soften. And then you can squeeze the sponge. And I said he wants to soak us. And then the water just begins to pour off the sponge because God comes and fills us with his spirit. And I say all of this. And until that point, nothing's happened. But we just pray. And then the spirit comes. And time and time and time again, People get filled with the Spirit and overcome by the love of God and the joy of God and you just squeeze it a little and they're soaked in the presence of God. Not everyone, but many. I do my part. He does his. I don't ever know how it's going to work. I have not a clue how it's going to work. I don't know how to... I can't do it. I can't make people be filled with the Spirit. There's nothing I can do. All I can do is my part. And then God wonderfully comes. And for many, fills them with His Spirit. Ask my five loaves and two fish. I bring a bowl of water and a sponge. I give a short talk. And God does His part. You know, he includes you and me. Five loaves, two fish. You're going to say it's not much. Absolutely right. But boy, what can he do with it? That's the point. What can he do with your five loaves and your two fish? It's scary, you know. Um, He wants to include you. Nikki works for CAP, which is Christians Against Poverty, and uh, wherever she goes, she takes this with her. This is her story. And it's, and it's quite brief. It's quite brief so that people can read it quickly and connect with it if they want to or whatever. So she works for Christians Against Poverty. And when she sees people, she'll give them a copy of her story. She'll just hand it to them. She gives her five loaves and two fish and leaves God to do the rest. It's just a simple way. Five loaves, two fish. That's all she does. She brings that. The, the other day, somebody really connected 
with her story. Her five loaves, two fish. Very simple. Revelation tells us this, that we're overcome by the, we, are, we, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, God's part, and by the word of our testimony, our part. So what is it that God is asking you to do? What is your five loaves, two fish? I want to be very general this morning. I know I could be very specific, but I want to be very general. What about that phone call he's been asking you to do? Would you just ring that person? Sometimes he does that. You know, he just gives us that nudge. You know, give them a ring. Give them a ring. Your part. Your part. Just do your part. I'll do the rest. Give them a ring. Um, you know that card you meant to write and that word of encouragement you meant to bring? Look, you do your part. I'll do mine. What's your part? What is the part that God's calling you to do? You know, I've always wanted to offer to pray for that person, but I've never summoned up the courage. It's amazing how many people will, ne- will not refuse prayer. I, I, I've offered to pray. You know, you do your part, let God do his. I know one lady, she sat down with a lady and she talked with her and she said, would you like me to pray for you? And the lady said, yes. And God moved right there and then, sitting together in that lounge, talking to one another. God moved, lady responded to Jesus Christ. Just from a conversation and a question, would you like me to pray for you? You do your part, let him do his. Invite somebody for a meal, give somebody some money. Lord, put that upon you. Bring a word of knowledge. The other day, uh, the other Sunday, Christine was woken up uh, during the night, and the Lord, she heard this audible voice saying, Christine, just calling her name. It's calling her name. She woke up, she looked at her husband, Stuart, and, and he was fast asleep, and uh, and so it wasn't him, and she knew it wasn't anybody, and eventually she realized it wasn't anybody else, and there was nobody else in the house. And then, uh, and as she spoke, he said, uh, fear not, for I've redeemed you, I've called you by name. And she brought that on a Sunday morning, and two people came to the front after the meeting, and I thought, how gracious, God. she brought her five loaves and two fish. Five loaves, two fish, people responded. So all, all we have to do, he wants to include you. He wants you to grow in faith. So Jesus tells his disciples to sit down, and as far as I can make out, they still only have five loaves and two fish. Are you there at that point? They still only have five loaves and two fish. I mean, it's at this point, I really want to go to the loo or somewhere, but he's still only got five loaves and two fish, and he said, sit them down in groups of 50. I mean, groups of 50. I, 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 I've been working this through, I thought... Ah, I must find an excuse to get out of here because there's still only five loaves and two fish. And then, and then he, then he, it's just a scary moment. And then he does the rest. And Stuart Reed said the other week, miracles are not to be explained, they're to be believed. Some want to explain this away. Some people will say, and they all got out their lunchbox. You must have heard that. And they all got out their lunchbox, and guess what? 5,000 people and children and women, and they were, all, they were all fed. That was brilliant. It doesn't say that. Why should we be afraid of that? Our God is, God is supernatural. He has to be. This book, my friends, is full of miracles. All I know is this account of the feeding of the 5,000. It's in every gospel. Every gospel. And in Luke's gospel, he specifically says, 
Right at the beginning of his account of Jesus, that it's written with careful investigation and with eyewitness reports. In other words, this can be corroborated. And it can be confirmed. And you can check it out. And in addition addition to this, if it wasn't true, this would have been dismissed in no time whatsoever. These gospels would have been just panned. But it isn't. And, And furthermore, the integrity. Do you know the integrity and the... Uh, authenticity of the New Testament stands above any, any ancient document that people say this is the real document. The New Testament stands way above that. There's a science called textual criticism. Miraculous? They all say he does the miraculous. This is part of who God is. This is what he does. And, my friends, he wants to include us too. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, he wants to include you. So I'm going to ask you, as we finish off here, I'm going to ask you, to, Lord, I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord, just, just learn to listen to him. How are you going to do this unless we learn to listen to him? Just spend some time with him. You've got to just spend some time with him. Get into your Bibles. He will speak through that, but he'll speak through other circumstances. And he'll speak to you as you sit, but he wants to speak to you. He doesn't want to make it difficult. He calls you his friend. He calls you his friend. Well, why wouldn't a friend want to speak to a friend? He wants to speak to you. Give him the time to do it. Don't just come with your shopping list. Give him the time to speak to you and speak to him. Ask God to increase your faith. Get yourself amongst people who are of faith. Cynical people are not helpful to you. Skeptical people are not helpful to you. Critical people are not helpful to you. You know, a critical person sees a wall that's painted, and it's been painted completely, and they, uh, they see the spot, the one piece that's not painted. That that's they always do that. They always see the spot. Clean the windows, miss this bit. That just get yourself amongst people who are helpful to you. Problem people. You know, problem people I say we're all problem people, I get that, but some people are I see a problem. They see a problem before they see an opportunity. They see a problem first, and they don't get off the problem. Look, get yourself amongst people who are people of faith, who will encourage you. Do you know, otherwise you'll be with faith killers. Give yourself some time with the Lord. Please do that. So he takes the fish and and the five loaves in verse 16. Taking the five loaves, two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute among the people. Does this remind you of any other meal? The Last Supper. Taking, breaking, thanking, breaking. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them. He said, this is my body given for you. Luke makes all the connections. Taking, thanking, breaking, giving. I tell you, he gives us hope. You know, God gives, Jesus gives us hope, my friends. Let me read you this as we finish. People, my friends, still live hungry lives. 
not for bread, but they're hungry for meaning, they're hungry for intimacy, they're hungry for community and fulfillment. There are deep longings in people's lives. This is my body broken for you. We can't come any other way but to the cross. Christ died for our sins. One Sunday, a streetwalker who had never been to church before came in. He's in a rough shape, bruised, shaken, bedraggled. And the pastor stood up to serve communion. He explained what it is. Taking Christ himself, his forgiving, redeeming, healing life into the very blood and bones of ourselves. It's the feasting on Christ's forgiveness and love and promises of newness. And they passed the plate around. And the street walker took a handful of bread and piled it on the lap of her short skirt. And when invited, she ate it all, licking the crumbs off her fingers. And when the cup came round, the street walker did likewise. She took six or seven little thimblefuls and downed them all, tipping each one back to drain the dregs. And all the time she wept. She wasn't physically hungry, she wasn't physically thirsty. She was starved for love, and she was parched for grace, and she couldn't get enough of Jesus Christ.